AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So we have been receiving uh, quite a bit of correspondence from some of our fellow conspiracy realists who are saying, yeah, we thought you guys would be fired after your first episode too. Also, we love... We love your X-Files episodes. We love your kind of monster of the week examinations of things that remain unexplained in the modern day. And this is where we get to uh, a favorite episode of ours in like the early morning of February 25th, 1942. This is true. All kinds of stuff went wrong in the skies of Los Angeles and Not one person, but multiple people were convinced they saw something strange in the sky. You guys remember this episode? Or were you around in 42? I don't think either of you were. A little before our time. It definitely was. But I have to say, this has been top of mind for me. And I believe the two of you fellas as well after seeing the, uh, in my opinion, spectacular nope on IMAX uh, and the big screen uh, really gave me a lot to think about. That movie really stuck with me and the idea of kind of, you know, um, extraterrestrials hiding in plain sight. Zero spoilers here. Please check it out. I think you'll very much enjoy it. Uh, it's certainly been something that I've been uh, reinvigorated uh, about. Uh, yes, fantastic movie. Just going to agree with you there, Noel. Ben, I just want to go back to what you're saying. They were so convinced there was something up there that 
they were firing artillery shells, like flak cannons, up into the air to try and bring stuff down. That's nuts. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a story that is hallowed in the halls of ufology. And we hope you enjoy our exploration of what really happened, what may have happened all those decades ago. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. My name is Ben, you're you, and when all of us join forces together, that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We basically form like Voltron. I'm the hat. A Voltron, a shadowy Voltron uh, that would appear on the X-Files, and today we're going to talk about uh, something historical, something obscure, something that might be related to UFOs. And as you guys know, I'm really excited every time we can check out one of these Episodes. Something that was made into a film in the 2000s. Well, has a title. Yeah, has a title. You know, this is something that has always bugged me and probably bugs a lot of other people as well. When they say the following events are, the, the following motion picture is based on, uh, actual, actual events. events. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, uh, Chainsaw Massacre is based on Ed Gein, I believe his right. name was, but, very, 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 very loosely. And the fact that they eat a lot of barbecue in Texas. Oh, boy. With those two things combined, they made the Voltron of movies that is... Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. yeah, how did we miss that in the cannibalism episode? That was That's a good point. This This time, what we're talking about occurs in 1942, in the wee hours... February 24th. Technically, it's the 25th of February, mm-hmm. 1 a.m. in L.A. Air raid sirens sound across Los Angeles County. And this was a signal for what was initially taken to be an attack by Japanese air forces. Yeah, an attack over a populated area. So uh, the authorities, they ordered a blackout through the entire or most of the county in that area. To reduce visibility for bombers. Precisely. Now, if I'm a bomber going over, I can't see exactly where I'm going now, or at least not as easily. So then at 3.16 in the morning, the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade began firing 50 caliber machine guns and 12.8 pound anti-aircraft shells into the air at reported aircraft. The artillery fire continued into the night. Well, morning, rather, the wee hours, let's say. Almost 1,500 shells were fired. So pilots from the 4th Interceptor Command were alerted. This is very important, but their aircraft remained on the ground. So after about an hour of this intense shelling that Knowles describing, the all-clear was sounded. The blackout order was lifted. It was 7.21 in the morning. This is a crazy day. What's that about? Right? That's That's me. <laughs> that's me if I'm, you know awakened by this heavy artillery fire, and then you wake up in the morning and it's like nothing to see here? What? So what's going on? Moving on. We're going to get into it, but the tensions are super high for even civilians who are just living. 
there in that area. And we'll get into why. But, yeah, you can imagine this would be a terrifying moment being in your house as you're hearing this overhead. I probably downplayed it a little bit. It would be a little more than what's that? (laughs) I don't know. You know, when that uh, when that latest how unfortunate it is to say it this way, when that latest string of failed coordinated bombings occurred in New York, when that dumpster exploded in Chelsea, a lot of the New Yorkers interviewed were saying like, yeah, and they're closing down the road. I got stuff to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a buddy of mine was at Barnes & Noble a couple blocks away and said he just thought it was thunder, didn't think anything of it. But yeah, then imagine that happening above your head approximately, you know, hundreds and thousands of times, right? right. The, yeah. Those sounds at exactly. least. Exactly. So let's look at the aftermath. So wake up. 7.21 a.m., you know, the lights are back on. People are wandering out to work, checking damage. Several vehicles and buildings were damaged by fragments, but shell fragments from the anti-aircraft shells, mm-hmm. not wreckage from some aircraft. And there were people who died, but luckily less than you less than you would think, according to the official story. Yeah, because of the blackouts, there were still vehicles on the road, and there were, I believe, three car accidents, or at least three fatalities involved with car accidents. Mm-hmm. And there were also a few fatal heart attacks, or so, something related yeah. with the heart. Two heart part. attacks, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the incident was front-page news along the U.S. Pacific coast. It earned some mass media coverage uh, throughout the nation in later days. And then people were asking exactly what you said, Noel, like, what happened? What, what, what the hell, guys? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's three in the morning and they went to Uncle Sam. So the secretary of the Navy at the time, uh, a guy called Frank Knox held a press conference, um, and the message delivered to those in attendance was that this had been a false alarm due to anxiety. And war nerves. War doing. nerves. Yeah. Well, sure. War nerves because. That's my quotation. <laughs> Thank you. I like that sound a lot. But this was contradicted by the army the next day in a statement relaying General George C. Marshall's belief that the incident may have been caused by commercial planes, airplanes that were being used as some kind of psychological warfare campaign to generate panic amongst the citizens. Yeah, the Army initially stated there were possibly five light enemy aircraft launched from secret bases within California, Mexico, or from offshore submarines. Furthermore, there were thousands of on-the-ground witnesses, along with what would become a notorious Photograph, And as we said, inevitably, media began to pick up the story. Some contemporary press outlets suspected a cover-up. In the Long Beach Independent, the editor wrote, There's a mysterious reticence about the whole affair, and it seems that some form of censorship is trying to halt discussion on the matter, see? Skadoo! Yeah, I, I don't think he said see at the end, but uh, speculation was rampant, and there were several different theories about this, right? So needless to say... There was a whole lot of speculation going on because these different statements didn't really give the general public a whole hell of a lot to go on. Especially from two of the major military arms that are giving conflicting stuff. Totally contradictory. And just the idea that something of this magnitude could happen, you know, as a result of nerves, that's pretty terrifying in and of itself. That would not put me uh, in a very good state of mind when, as you know, 
Pearl Harbor had happened not terribly long before this. So people were probably already a little on edge Mm -hmm. about the potential of that happening again um, under the cover of night. And then the fact that their own government isn't giving them much actual information, I do not think that created a particularly confident public. Right. This speculation wasn't something relegated to the fringes of society. You know, it wasn't some uh, group of people gathered in a smoky room with one light around them going, I don't think the story was true. It's like the L.A. Times. It's Mm -hmm. like the the newspapers of note. And so what were some of these theories? What was some of the speculation? Some of these uh, musings? (laughs) Yes, some of these musings. Why don't you give them to us, Ben? Uh, I will. I will play this reindeer game. First, there were theories, as we mentioned, about stuff like a secret base in northern Mexico. So not in the U.S., but on the continent, right? Because logically, it would be very difficult to smuggle in the requisite hardware to create a secret military base. But that was an idea, wasn't it? And that was one of the ideas, yeah. And then there is something else, the idea that there were Japanese submarines stationed offshore with the capability of carrying planes, which sounds so, from a technological standpoint, amazing, mm-hmm. right? But as you can imagine, it's still pretty difficult to do. And that was compounded by the fact that a Japanese submarine did surface off the Pacific earlier uh, before, so people were pretty spooked about it. Others speculated that the incident was either staged or exaggerated, a false flag attack, perhaps, to give coastal defense industries an excuse to move further inland. So that's a um, corporate motivation, you know, profit and safety motivation. But this went all the way to government officials calling for a congressional investigation. A representative from Santa Monica Congressional Representative Leland Ford called for an investigation, saying, quote, none of the explanations so far offered removed the episode from the category of complete mystification. This was either a practice raid or a raid to throw a scare into two million people or a mistaken identity raid or a raid to lay a political foundation to take away Southern California's war industries. So you're saying you think it's some kind of raid. It's some kind of raid, but for what? I don't know. So... What happened? We'll we'll get to that after a quick word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Even in the modern day, or we're recording this in 2016, even in the modern day, you will hear several different theories regarding what really happened. I'm loving that finger quote sound effect. No, it's perfect. Uh, what really happened in those, in, in those late hours in 1942? The most popular alternative theories today involve either a Japanese covered up attack that, you know, they were embarrassed about, they didn't want to admit, or the emergence of some kind of top secret aircraft, you know, something that came straight out of Nevada somewhere in a secret test facility, or that perhaps these were extraterrestrials, maybe not, maybe just the UFO, but, uh, you know, that alien specter remains. When I first saw the, the idea that, like, it was, uh, they would cover up a Japanese attack, I was like, that's ridiculous. Why would you keep your citizens in the dark? But but you you make a good point. Maybe they didn't want to admit that they had been, they got got. Yeah, again. yeah. No, really. That's legitimate. So if this turned out to be true, it would be not only an astonishing moment in U.S. history, but one of the largest cover-ups in recent history as well. There's an important note that I'll reiterate here. Uh, 
as uh, as you guys have pointed out, this occurred very soon after the Pearl Harbor attack. Pearl Harbor occurred on December 7th, 1941. This occurred February 25th, 1942. So uh, as as we've pointed out before in this in this show, uh, civilians, military officials and the media alike believed the West Coast would be the next target. The day before this attack occurred, uh, a Japanese submarine had surfaced near Santa Barbara. So there are all these anti-aircraft batteries along the West Coast. They were on high alert. They were told to be ready at any given moment, told to be on the lookout for anything unusual. And they were working as active stations, ready to fire at any moment. And they were taught that they were supposed to expect an attack at any moment. These people were assured that something terrible was going to happen. And psychologically, uh, we'll see that that's very important and could be a deciding factor. Let's look at the, those three most popular theories about what happened. When I say popular, I don't necessarily mean the one that Uncle Sam accepts, because there is one that Uncle Sam believes is the true, is the official narrative. Uh, so what what's the first one? So Japan did, in fact, have a secret air-based weapons program in the U.S. during WW2. It was called the Fugo Bombing Balloons. Like actually, like balloons? Yeah, yeah. So their existence was kind of kept under wraps until a balloon bomb killed six people having a nice picnic in Oregon. But if these balloon bomb devices had somehow reached Los Angeles – Neither the U.S. nor Japan have any records to show that this was the case. But, again, double but, these were only launched against America from 1944 onwards, so far as we know. So that would mean that there's a problem with the timeline, right? If this attack occurs in 1942 and everything we know about these bombs says that they don't exist until 1944, then they couldn't have had it. But there's another kicker here. They weren't the only other army with this sort of plan. You, you, the United Kingdom was using a similar tactic and earlier. So their first evaluation of when, of whether these bombs could be used on balloons uh, occurs in like 1937. So in 1942, the concept of some sort of balloon weapon, as silly as it might sound, uh, was definitely around. It was like in the zeitgeist. Governments were thinking about it. So just to kind of paint the picture here, these are pretty interesting, you know, by today's standards, rudimentary bombing devices. It's basically a hydrogen balloon with a series of cords or wires or ropes attached mm-hmm. around the midsection of the balloon going down to a point. Then there's a ring uh, with the payload, I guess you could say, in the center and then a series of sandbags around it. And then you were saying that there were different regulators, altimeters, I believe, yeah, yeah, yeah. that uh, could determine what altitude the balloon was in and then cut cords for sandbags to get it to go higher. Mm-hmm. And then once it reached a certain altitude, it would release a charge that would drop the payload. Right. Yeah. It was on a timer system. So uh, after it if it went too high, it would vent hydrogen, so it would descend, drop sandbags to ascend to keep it in this range of altitude. And then when it hit its timeline, then it would drop everything, including the bomb. So very clever. It does seem a little rudimentary in our modern age of drones. Uh, Hard to target. Right, right. Hard to target and not necessarily uh, effective uh, in in the larger scheme of war, but 
a small number were had been recorded, right? And they were, and even some were shot down by fighter aircraft. But there's a worrying thing about these is that they were they had a high altitude and they had a surprisingly fast speed. That was the main difficulty for fighter aircraft. So it is possible that a weaponized balloon could have been there. But there's another theory while we're on balloons. So speaking of these balloons, the U.S. official position is that these were UFOs. They're unidentified flying objects. But they were, wait for it, stop me if you've heard this one, hmm. meteorological balloons, weather balloons. Oh, weather balloons making a return appearance. And swamp gas. Yeah. No, no, it was just weather balloons. <laughs> there were swamp gas and weather balloons. Uh, yeah, and this comes from a little bit more recent uh, circumstances. Almost 50 years later, the Office of Air Force History concluded that... A careful study of the evidence suggests that these meteorological balloons, known to have been released over Los Angeles, may well have caused the initial alarm. This theory is supported by the fact that anti-aircraft artillery units were officially criticized for having wasted ammunition on targets which moved too slowly to have been airplanes. So weather balloons were released from each of the approximately dozen anti-aircraft positions around the city every six hours. And if we look at this from a um, unpacking or, or slightly, if we look at the timeline and mm-hmm. sequence of events, here's what we find. So these these balloons, these weather balloons, they say, were illuminated from below by an enclosed candle and was designed to reflect off the silver lining of the balloon to ensure that you could see it. So reports suggest that the gunners from all but one battery mistook the balloons for planes and opened fire. Hmm. Sounds, you know, sounds like the old argument of incompetence versus malevolence, right? So again, though, we got to yeah. think of the mentality of the time where people, you know, were understandably on edge, and as you said, there was this. Uh, this overarching idea, this notion that an attack was imminent, right. you know, and I'm not making excuses for anybody that should be trained and they should be able to react accordingly. But I don't find this particular explanation to be too much of a stretch. It also has to do with with communication that's occurring between the different arms of the military, like depending on who released the balloons, mm-hmm. if it's army personnel who are shooting at these things, but it's Air Force personnel that released the balloons or, you know, naval personnel, and there wasn't good communication about when they're being launched and where. And it may even go further. Uh, that's a good point because these anti-aircraft positions uh, were – these anti-aircraft positions were probably not communicating very well with each other. So the only gun battery that did not fire was the D battery of the 203rd Coast Artillery Regiment. And that was also directly in the flight path of this alleged aircraft. This was also the company that most recently launched its balloons at 3 a.m. Remember, the firing starts at 3.16. And afterwards, the staff at D-Battery were instructed not to mention these balloons, and the officer in charge, Colonel Ray Watson, was given a pension. Ooh. Which, uh, this can make sense. And that means it would still be a cover up, but it was a cover up to avoid embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, and furthermore, why, the question is like, well, why did this go so crazy then? If it was just a weather balloon, why did everybody end up shooting it? Yeah. What, why didn't somebody say, stop, stop? That's a balloon. Or why didn't the balloon pop? That's a heck of a question. So many of the shell burst for people who believe this story, including the, uh, including the Navy, 
many of the shell bursts were mistaken for other aircraft, and so this would lead somebody at a different battery position to say, oh, crap, got to get this one, okay. too. Okay, so I shoot one shell into the air, it explodes, Noel sees it, and he thinks, oh, what the heck was that? He shoots, right, and then it's just this fun little cycle. That's just how I roll, man. I shoot first and ask questions later. No, you shot second, buddy. Han shot first. Okay, all right. <laughs> and this shows the wildly. This shows, you know, this could explain rather the the wildly fluctuating reports on the number of aircraft, the speed, their altitude, and then we get to my the, my favorite of these theories. The UFO. Now, Ben. Now, Ben. That don't. That's misleading. It could just be. Could be a lot of things. Could be more of a bing, bing, bing. Nah, things didn't really bing back then. Sounds like bing. Anything to me, like an old sailing vessel. Sure, sure. I like the. I like to think that's the noise it makes as it flies through. Or could could be the classic. Oh yeah, yeah. quotation <laughs> tiny fingers. wings. So here we go. Yeah, yeah, what's the deal with this? What I mean, we, you know, I, I couldn't the uh, the balloon, as you mentioned, already be considered a UFO? Excellent point. Excellent point. Because every time we do this, we will get letters. We'll get letters from folks who will write in and say, uh, "This is definitely an extraterrestrial," or "This is not." And it's because we'll use the phrase UFO. But UFO stands for, as we all know, unidentified flying object. Yeah, unidentified flying object. And that's exactly the point that Noel is making. A balloon that you don't recognize as a balloon is a UFO until you say, oh, that's a balloon. An alien spacecraft is a UFO because if one appears, people will have no idea what it looks like or what it is, and it will behave differently, we would assume, mm-hmm. especially if it's spaceworthy. If there is a secret spy plane, like the, the B-2 bomber or something, then that is also a UFO. If there is uh, a Horton Ho twenty two, which is the which is the fixed wing aircraft that uh, the Nazi powers were working on before the fall of of Nazi Germany, if that thing's in the air, that's also a UFO. Or even a larger, like nowadays, a larger drone that sure. perhaps you don't know exactly what it is that could be a UFO. Yeah, one of those creepy surveillance blimps too, Ooh. which are a real thing. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do find this missing girlfriend and tell her story with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one like my producer Anna oh my god my friend Dr. Mindy Shapiro hi it's Dr. Shapiro and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner and of course Gail's sister Elaine Katz having no closure it kills you join us as we try to solve a 35 year old cold case It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So those who believe the incident was caused by an actual yet unidentified craft have several pretty valid questions for the people who buy the balloon story as well as the people who sell the story. Uh, Number one, uh, which I jumped the gun on earlier here, wouldn't a balloon pop when you hit it with an artillery shell? You'd certainly think so. Right. The UFOlogists argue that a balloon subject to shelling would have popped, but there's evidence from other comparisons we can make that that might be less certain than you would think. Kind of similar to how in the movies, anything happens to a car and it explodes. You know, mm-hmm. Giant fireball yeah. destruction. And it's really difficult to make cars do that in real life. You have to know what you're doing, and it's it's not just shooting at a gas tank most times. So Wasn't there a Mythbusters on that? Yeah, I think there was, yeah. And then there's always Sunny in Philadelphia where uh, <laughs> Mac and Charlie throw a grenade into the car. <laughs> yeah. Because they think it'll explode and it just mess, really messes up the now car. Now, what about that old, not to get too off yeah, topic here, what yeah. about that old trick where you take a rag, soak it in gas, put it in the gas tank and light it like a fuse and then run away? 
That can work. I, I would think that'd be a good. That can work. Yeah. Uh, that was not what happened here. That was not what happened here. And don't ever do that. No. <laughs> so we we have to we have to draw comparisons to the closest thing that we we have at the time. So at the time there were also Zeppelin type airships, right? Mm. And that would be a another kind of balloon similar to. So these rigid and semi-rigid aircraft are not like the Fugo balloons that we're talking about because those relied on over pressure to sustain their shape. But so yeah, if anything punctures it, it's gone. Well, if anything punctures it, it will def- it, it won't necessarily pop immediately. It'll just- yeah, it might deflate and slowly go down. The flexibility of a balloon or blimp's gas bag gives some protection from explosive fire. Uh the skin will dent and distort to absorb the impact and may not actually puncture. Mm-hmm. Uh we see experimental spy blimps like the one I mentioned earlier, the LEMV, uh, may be able to sustain damage and not be shot down immediately. And also to that point about cars, it's not guaranteed that something even hydrogen powered will, or hydrogen filled rather, mm-hmm. will ignite when hit by normal bullets. In World War sure. One, and this was on a, th- this was a pretty interesting comparison I found on a site that believes this is the case. During World War I, a Zeppelin called the L-33 was hit by anti-aircraft fire, but it didn't catch a flame. Instead, it just was forced to crash land. Wow. And so the way that fighter aircraft began to be able to really light up a Zeppelin is when they switched from normal ammo to explosive and phosphorus incendiary Mm -hmm. bullets. So a combination of these would ignite the hydrogen. So it's possible, according to the people who believe this part, that shrapnel from the batteries would not have uh, destroyed the balloon, but would have punctured it, goes into the ocean. But that's not a guaranteed explanation. The second question for the UFO folks, right, for those who believe in the UFO theory, why does that famous photo that we mentioned earlier show a saucer rather than a spherical shape? Because if you look at the photograph, it definitely does not look like a weather balloon. Yeah, but it also kind of looks like a saucer, right? I mean, that's one of the big things here. Like it, the shape looks a bit round of whatever's being illuminated, but it's also so overblown that it's really hard to get any type of shape out of it unless you, <laughs> unless you mess with the photo a lot. I'm looking at it now. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of searchlights trained on it and if it was a weather balloon, like we said before, those can be quite reflective. I could see it definitely a grainy photo like this having some issues with perspective, you know. It does look a little more oblong, but maybe we're seeing the top of it, you know. Maybe we're just like the perspective is everything. It's interesting, though. It's a neat picture. It does. It's a very, it's a very compelling picture. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if uh, we're able to see exactly what it is. So this photo that we're discussing here is pretty famous. There are several versions of it that have been retouched uh, over the years. Um, it appeared in, in the L.A. Times. But, you know, it's it's very common before you when you take a photo like this and then you want to put it in the newspaper. So you take it to the print, right? The big press. 
it's very common, or it was and it still is today, to retouch photographs to make sure you get the best image that you possibly can that will look the best in that black and white format. And we even have a quote from the L.A. Times with an update about this photo. In the retouched version, many light beams were lightened and widened with white paint, while other beams were eliminated. In earlier years, it was common for newspapers to use artists to retouch images due to poor reproduction, basically ten shades of gray if you were lucky. Thus, my conclusion, the retouching was needed to reproduce the image. But man, I wish the retouching had been more faithful to the original. With our current standards, this image would not be published. And that's a statement by Scott Harrison over at the Times. So altered, but not altered to uh, deceive people. Not necessarily, but still, it's, I mean, they're putting white paint onto the image, right? Like I said, I mean, it's a super compelling photo. That white paint acts to great effect. I mean, mm. those lights of, those beams of light are super stark, and they're all kind of converging on this form in the sky. And, I mean, it, it, it looks like um, a saucer shape, sort of like an elliptical shaped thing mm-hmm. and you know i i could see how people could definitely latch onto that it's a very very cool compelling image but i can also see just the idea of taking that paint and making it more you know pop kind of more i mean we're used to that now you with like instagram you can have a four-year-old take a picture and slap an instagram filter on it and all of a sudden it looks compelling but um this is very interesting for the time so yeah. this is a representation of what happened We know that there were a ton of human beings, probably, I mean, I can imagine some people are outside looking up or at least in the window looking up uh, as they're taking shelter from all this noise. What did witnesses say they saw? So you'll hear people who want to push their own agenda, whether they believe it was a weather balloon, whether they believe it was some kind of craft, whether they believe it was nothing. uh, There's a bad habit people can sometimes have wherein... They will say, okay, out of these 10,000, out of these potentially 2 million people, uh, the 48, 480,000 who say that they saw this are the ones who are clearly right because that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also, as we know, these multiple, there are multiple accounts from the evening that widely contradict one another. And unfortunately, eyewitnesses are incredibly unreliable. So, There are many, many eyewitnesses who say they saw some sort of saucer-shaped thing that was flying in a way they had never seen a craft fly before. There are many, many eyewitnesses who say that they saw multiple things fighting in the air, a a war between humans and aliens or a war between uh, the Japanese Mm. and the allied forces or the Japanese and the U.S. at this point. Should we should throw in there really fast with with the multiple aircraft and multiple things fighting in the air? The military they were using tracer ammunition, so you could see the bullets flying through the air, and you can imagine what that might look like to an untrained eye. Sure, all these beams of light essentially going across. And so here we are toward the modern day. The current official stance here in the U.S. remains the same as the 1983 investigation concluded. And that stance is that uh, tensions were high, people had war nerves, and routine meteorological or weather balloons uh, deployed around 3 a.m. prompted an attack because the city was already on high alert with the air raid siren going off at 1. 
However, it's not likely the American public will ever consider this entirely solved, regardless of what the government says. Unless more evidence emerges, we're stuck with an official explanation that many people think is malarkey. Or at the very least, murky. Malarkey. Malarkey. Yes, oh, wow. malarkey. And there are still lasting consequences to this, regardless of what you are convinced happened, and regardless how many people do or don't agree with you. Uh, one of the lasting consequences, which stays today, is accelerated uh, state discrimination against innocent American civilians, particularly in this case, Japanese American residents at the time. The U.S. government was already actively uh, interning people and, and uh, detaining them would be a good word. And this also descends to, you know, descends down to the modern day when we have, we have people with legitimate concerns that one day a federal power will simply decide that they are a risk and then boom, bag over your head, shipped you off somewhere. And that, that belief is a result of occurrences like this. But I have to ask you guys, what do you think now? Certainly think it was. One of the, in my opinion, one of the coolest pieces of the past dealing with the UFO, just because that, of that image. I think that image, like you said, Noel, it's everything. It conjures so much, so many other thoughts in my head about what it would be like if an extraterrestrial craft descended on a city and like, what, how do we react in that immediate moment if one comes down and the military is ready to go already? When the government response was so overtly shady and just like non-informative, you know, it just, it, it allows your mind to kind of run wild a little bit, especially when you pair it with an image like that. Well, it's also the immediate response of shooting the absolute crap of whatever it is that's mm-hmm. overhead it, before confirming what it is. It, you know, it, is that, we don't know what it is in the sky, but it's in our airspace, and we have all these weapons, so shoot that thing down. That happens today, though. Well, know? no, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But that's a very human thing, I think, of uh, you're encroaching on my my territory. Get We're already at war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have been there. Sorry. There's also the, yeah, the inherent distrust. Imagine when you're a kid, if your parents tell you two completely different things, right? Yeah. Uh, what happened to our dog? Oh, he's at the doctor. No, don't trust your dad. He's dead. <laughs> uh, this, or at the farm. That's that's what I heard. Right, yeah, at the farm, uh, at the dead dog farm. So with this in mind, we want to hear your opinions. What do you think happened? Do you have new information that you think should come to light? Uh, do you know someone who witnessed this, maybe a, maybe a parent or a grandparent or something? And if so, what is their account of the events? We're going to head out now, but in the meantime, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, of course, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love it if you left a review somewhere. Not only that, I want to point out that we haven't been doing Shout Out Corner quite as much lately, and that's because we are amassing a veritable treasure trove of shout outs that will get their own episode. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.